In Genesis 2.9, it says this about the Garden of Eden. It says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those two trees represent the two choices that Adam and Eve had to make. And those two trees today represent the choices that you and I have to make. And Ryland and I in this series have been making the case that our goal should be to choose life. To get to the place where our choices are life-giving. Life-giving for us, life-giving for the people around us. Because in life we have two choices. We can live in the tree of life, and that means that we make choices every day with an attitude that leads to life. Or we can live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that means that we make choices based on what I determine to be right and wrong. It's a set of rules, a set of regulations, a list of requirements. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. You know, those, those types of things end in death. Not only death for us, but death for the people around us. And every day we have to choose between those two trees. We have to choose between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we've been using the book of Galatians for our study, although this principle flows throughout Scripture. But we've been using Galatians for our study because the Galatians, it was a new church plant. They were new believers. They they were loving God, loving Christ. Christ had set them free, and everything is great. They were enjoying it all. And then these legalistic uh, men came in from Jerusalem. And they claimed to be Christians, but they also held on to the Old Testament law. And they thought the rules and regulations of the law were still required if you were going to have right standing with God. And so they tried to impose these old rules of the law onto these new believers who were living in, by grace. And, and when they began to impose that old law on them, it began to produce death. And Paul writes a letter to the Galatians to correct that problem. Uh, basically, the, the legalist position is, is that if I'm going to gain right standing with God, it, it doesn't happen just through what Christ has done for me. It also depends on what I do or don't do. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I may be saved through faith in Christ, but the way I, I walk with Christ is through my own good effort. i got to keep the rules. But in the tree of life... You get to God not by following rules and regulations, but just by coming to God, by living with God, by embracing faith, enjoying grace. And yes, you do the things that God wants you to do. You live the way God wants you to, but the motivation is different. It changes from got to to get to. It's not done in your own effort. Now, the first story of the Bible talks about the tree of life, and the very last chapter of the Bible talks about the tree of life. The tree of life bookends the Bible from the beginning to end. In Revelation 22, it says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, when you grab a hold of the concept of the tree of life, you'll begin to bear fruit, you will produce leaves. That's all growth-related. And it will have a profound effect on you and on the people around you to the point where how you live your life will bring healing to the people around you. I mean, wouldn't you love to get to the place where the decisions that you make, the way you live your life, brings healing to the people around you? 
And that's been God's intent all along, that the way that we would live our life would be so attractive that people would just be drawn to God, drawn to Christ. Jesus said it this way. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works, and then they will glorify God in heaven. Just by the way you live your life, people are drawn to glorify God. A woman was being tailgated by a stressed-out driver on a busy boulevard, and as she's driving along, suddenly the light in front of her turned yellow, and so she slammed on her brakes and stopped, even though she could have accelerated and made it through on the pink. And so she stopped, and the tailgater behind her slammed on her brakes, laid on the horn, uh, threw her cell phone against the windshield she was so mad, started gesturing wildly at the woman and cursing at her. And in mid-rant, she hears a tap on her window and looks out, and there's a stern policeman there who says, ma'am, would you step out of the car and uh, put your hands up? And he handcuffs her, takes her down to uh, the jail, uh, books her, uh, fingerprints her, gets a mugshot, puts her in a holding cell. About two hours pass, and the officer comes down there, and he escorts the tailgater back up to the booking desk. And he says, ma'am, I'm sorry, I, I owe you an apology, this has been a mistake, but when I saw you honking the horn, uh, screaming and cursing at this woman, and then I noticed a what would Jesus do bumper sticker and a little chrome uh, fish Christian symbol on the trunk of the car, I just assumed you had stolen the vehicle. <laughs> now we laugh, but if we looked back over our own life this past week, if we are the only Jesus that some people see, uh-oh. You know, the goal of the Christian life is to live in such a way that people are attracted to Christ by the way we live our lives. It's not that we're perfect. It's just that we are so full of life that people are attracted to Christ. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Why are those two concepts connected? The tree of life, righteousness, and winning souls. Because that's how soul winning works. Witnessing isn't about screaming at people on a street corner. The most effective way to reach people is just to be full of life. The fruit of a righteous person is life, and you will win people to Christ naturally as a result. Now, next Friday is Good Friday, and this next weekend is Easter weekend. And we have two great Good Friday services scheduled for you, one at 6, one at 7.15. We have five great Easter services scheduled for next weekend. And it's going to be an incredible weekend together as we share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And more people will attend church Easter weekend than any other weekend of the entire calendar year. More people are receptive to being invited to church for Easter than any other time through the year. If you have someone that you have been longing to invite to church, this weekend is your very best shot at getting them to say yes and come. Now, on your outline, I've, I've put three lines on your outline there. And I'd like for you, as we move through the service today, to just be praying and ask God to give you three names of people that you could invite to come with you uh, Easter weekend. And just he's saying, open your ears, your eyes to, to, to what God has to say. Look around you, see people who have a need, and just in, step out and invite them to come. And in your worship folder, we've given you an invitation that you can use. And if you want more, uh, there's a, a few more back at the information table. But you can use this to give it to somebody to invite them. You could even mail it to them on the back. Just put a stamp on it and, 
and uh, address it and send it to them. Uh, actually, I w I'm hoping that's the right size that you can mail it for just a, a, a check with your postman. Okay? Otherwise, it's better off just to hand it to them. But I would like for us just to stop right now and to just pray and ask God to just reveal to us the people that we need to invite, the people that he is preparing their hearts uh, ahead of time. So let's just pray together, would you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the life that we can find in Jesus Christ. We pray for the people in our lives who don't know Christ. And we pray that our lives would be so full of life that the people around us will want what we have. And God, we just pray that you'd prepare their hearts so that they will say yes as we invite them to come, that as they attend the service, that they will hear the gospel message, that their hearts will be receptive and that they would commit their life to you, Lord. And we just thank you for the privilege that we have of leading people to Jesus Christ, for the opportunity we have to be involved in the process. We thank you for that gift and that responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can be filling out those names as we go through here. But uh, we want to today share with you the final installment in our Tree of Life series. And it's called a Dying to Live. And this message is a paradox. It is a contradiction. The contradiction is, is that the best way to live life is to die. Now, uh, we're speaking figuratively here as we talk about dying and crucifying. Please understand that it's figurative. But be, even though it's figurative, it's no less necessary and no less powerful a concept. And you mean I have to die in order to live? Yes. Jesus introduced the concept in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's a paradox. If you lose your life, you'll get to keep it. Now, it's a difficult concept to understand. I've been a believer for over 40 years, and this has been a difficult concept for people to get. And the truth is, you really don't get the concept until you enter into it. Because the understanding comes when you act in faith. It's activated by your faith. Now, in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul describes his journey toward understanding this concept. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All those things I thought were really worth it, all those things that I was living for, Paul says, they don't matter to me anymore. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul learned that in order to truly live, he had to die to himself. And he talks about that in Romans chapter 6. He says, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Christ went to the cross to defeat sin, to defeat evil, to defeat the devil, and praise God, he did. Christ was crucified to defeat the enemy. And the book of Galatians and throughout Scripture, it talks about the fact that we too need to be crucified. Now, it's a paradox. It's a contradiction. If you die, you live. You come to the cross every day, you lay down your life, and that's how you find the power to live. 
The cross will give you power in three areas. On your notes here, first area is the power to overcome self. Now, there may be some in this room, there may be some this Easter weekend here who wear the label Christian, but you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never come to the point where you prayed and you said, Christ, everything I am belongs to you. I give you my life. Salvation happens when you come to the point where you give him your life, where you willingly just say, my life is not my own, it belongs to you. I am, I am not my own, I was bought with a price, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a risk. It's a paradox. But it's the only thing that works. Galatians 2.20 is the first place where Paul mentions the word crucified in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And look at the depth of it. He says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that is not something that you just do on the day when you're saved. You don't let it stop there every day. Every day you come to the cross and say, Lord, today I give you my life. If you want the power to overcome self, every day you give him your life. You say, Lord, I did a pretty good job yesterday, but I fell short. And so today, Lord, I'm dying to myself. I give you my life, and you saddle up, and you go at it again. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die every day. I die every day. Why is it so important to him? Because when you die every day, you get the power of the cross to overcome the self. Key word here is the word brokenness. Brokenness means you come to the point of desperation. You come to the point of total dependence on Jesus Christ. And what would be what would be like if you started every day totally dependent on Christ? You said, Lord, my best efforts always fall short. I can't do it in my own power today. So, God, I need the power of the cross. And you initiate the power of the cross in your life when you trust in the cross. And some of you are going through a time of brokenness right now. Many of you are. And God didn't initiate it. You didn't initiate it. It just came your way. And God is allowing that season of brokenness to continue in your life so that he can get your attention so that your eyes and ears can be opened and you can realize, I cannot do this on my own. And I encourage you today just to respond to him by giving him your life. Allow God to save you, to rescue you. Now the next level of a crucified life is the power to overcome your flesh. And your flesh is when you're a Christian, but you still have this part of you that doesn't want to do Christian things. And Jesus said it this way, he said, your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing, your flesh is weak, and so there is this tension, there is this conflict, and you've got to overcome the flesh. Now, we can fall into a cycle, and and maybe you can identify this, where you come to church on the weekend and you love it. I mean, you sing, I surrender my life, all I am, Lord. I put my hands up, I surrender. You're taking notes. You're not just filling in the blanks. You're filling in the margins. You are just loving it, and you are thinking, yes, I am committed to Christ. I'm never going to sin again. Lord, I'm going to serve you. And you go out of here, and you make it till about Wednesday, or maybe Monday morning, or maybe 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. And then you just wear out. You just wear out, and you stumble, and you do the wrong thing. But you don't want to. 
but you do. How do you break that cycle? Paul says it, gives us a secret, Galatians 5.24. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. That means you not only pray the prayer of salvation, but every day you take it up a notch. Every day you speak to that sinful nature within you and you say, not today, buddy. Not today. Lord, I, you are the Lord of my life. I give you my will, my plans, my agenda, my desires. I'm going to live my life for you. And you die daily. And you just start the process. You know, you just start at the top and work your way down. You say, God, I, I just give you my mind. I, today, I want to think about whatsoever is right and true and pure and lovely and of good report and excellent and praiseworthy. God, guard my mind today. God, I make a covenant with my eyes. Today, I'm not going to look lustfully on anyone or anything. God, I make a covenant with my ears. I don't want to listen to gossip. I don't want to listen to junk. I want to listen for your still, small voice as you guide me. God, don't let me open my mouth and say stupid things today. Let every word that comes out of my mouth be words that give life, words that build up rather than tear down. God, let my hands be used today, not to hurt, not to take, but to heal and to give and to help. And God, God, guide my feet. Let my feet, let them take me away from where I shouldn't go and let them take me directly where I should go. God, let, lead me to those divine appointments. Let, let every phone call, every letter, every email, let all of those things be life-giving. What are you doing when you march through that kind of prayer every day? You're crucifying the flesh and you're feeding the Spirit. You know, every day we come to the place where we give Him our life. Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You don't put your hands up, but is anybody in here tired of this cycle of being a slave to sin? You're trying to do the right thing, but you don't do the right thing. You try to do the right thing, but you don't do the right thing. What do you do about it? How do you break that cycle? You die every day. You crucify the flesh. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And some of us, every day, we just need to make the decision about what we're going to look at on the Internet, what TV shows and movies we're going to watch, what, what we're going to read, uh, the jokes we're going to listen to, the jokes we're going to tell, the attitudes, the anger, the actions in our lives. And, and rather than saying, oh, that's just the way I am, it's just my nature to do that. Well, nature is what we're put on this earth to overcome by the power of the cross. It's time for that cycle to stop. It's time for the drunkenness and the addictions and, and the struggle for that war between this. It is time for it to stop. And the way it stops is you've got to kill it. You've got to go at it with hammer and nails. You've got to crucify the self. And the key word here is holiness. We come to a point where we pursue holiness. The problem is the flesh pursues happiness. God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. God wants you to be holy. And you must come to the point where you realize that holiness doesn't mean your life is boring. Holiness means that your life is more fulfilling, more joyful, more happy than it would ever be if you pursued the flesh. One more place where Galatians says we need to crucify ourselves. 
And that's the cross gives us the power to overcome the world. Because you can overcome the self, you can overcome the flesh, and the world will sweep in like a flood. Harder than it ever did before. And I tell you, my poor kids and grandkids are facing decisions I never had to face. And they are facing more wickedness and more junk than ever before. You know, when I was a kid, abortion was illegal. When I was a kid, pornography was illegal. When I was a kid, you could pray at school. You could read the Bible at school. We had Bible instruction in school. You know, today, uh, there's just wickedness out there. And much of it is sanctioned by our culture. Much of it is sanctioned by our schools. Much of it is sanctioned by our government. And kids are exposed to things I was never exposed to. What are you going to do about that? You have got to make your decisions about where you're going to stand with the world. You've got to make a decision. Paul said at Galatians 6.14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which, and look at this, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You've got to crucify it. And this means not just the lustful, sinful things. It also means good things. Because good things can come in and become your passion and become your desire and take the place that God should have in your life. I mean, you've got to watch good things. You know, for me, one of the good things I have to watch is Rockbrook Church. You say, Kelly, the church is a good thing. You mean you have to crucify uh, that? Yes. Because even though it's a good thing, I mean, I love what I do. I love this church, but it can become too important to me. And so I pray regularly. I say, God, I love Rockbrook Church. I love the people here. I love to pastor here. I intend to do this for the rest of my life. But God, I never want Rockbrook to come between you and me. So God, if you ever want this church, you can have it. You can have it. I surrender it. I mean, there are good things in your life that you must hold loosely in your hands. Things like your job, your possession, your family, your family. God calls you to hold it loosely in your hands. You try to hang on to it, you will lose it. But you hold it loosely and you give it to the Lord and you'll get to keep it. You know, it's a paradox. You you think you're going to lose it if you give it up. But you don't lose anything when you give it to Christ. You gain everything. Yet you cannot let anything, anything come between you and Christ. If you do, it becomes an idol. And so the key word here is the word separation. We never get too close to the world. We never totally buy into everything the world has to offer. We never put down roots here. The Bible says this isn't our home. Heaven is our home. Here we are sojourners. We're travelers. We're aliens and strangers here. And so we don't latch on to the things of the world. We don't let the things of the world come in and crowd out God. No, there is a separation between us and the world. 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Verses 17 and 18. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And all of a sudden, we're back to this concept of God is the Father, and we are his children. We're not slaves to sin. We are not slaves to the things of the world. We're sons and daughters, and we serve God by the power that he gives us every day. 
I want you to pray with me. We're going to go to the cross. And I just ask as we pray here today that, that, you know, how many of you would say, I need to go to the cross. I need my old sin nature crucified. I need to give my life to Christ. And you might say, you know, Kelly, I am not right with God right now. If I were to die this moment, I couldn't honestly tell you that I'm in a right relationship with God. And so maybe you've come to that desperation point, that point of brokenness where you're willing to say, God, I just need you. I can't do it on my own. And there are some of you in this room right now who are just miserable because your way is not working. There is power missing in your life. And so today you decide you are ready to give up. You're ready to give in. You are ready to give your life to Christ. Would you just pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart? Just say, Father, I give you my life. I give you everything. I ask you to come in and forgive me of my sins. Give me new life, the new, abundant, eternal life that you promise to those who trust in Christ. God, I repent of trying to do things my own way, and I want to do them through the power of the cross, and so I lay my life down. And maybe you're here today, and you've been a believer in Christ for a long time, but you, you've, you've never crucified the self. You've never crucified the flesh. You've let the world creep in and move Christ out of, out of the place that he needs to be. Would you just make the decision today, God, I'm, I'm not going to respond to what my body and emotions want. I am going to respond to what my spirit is leading me to do. Give me the power to overcome myself and my flesh. Give me the power to overcome the world so that Christ can live in me. God, we would yield it to you, our hobbies, our careers, even our families. Anything that could come between us and you, God, we hold it loosely in our hands. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.